this week's host, Eddie Webb, and with me are Dixie Cochran. Hello. Sorry. Right as we started, my nose hurt itching really badly. <laughs> <laughs> and Matthew Dawkins. Hello, Mr. Webb. <laughs> Mr. Webb. Mr. Webb. I have been holidaying on my yacht, the Disco Volante, where I have been <laughs> transporting nuclear weapons on behalf of Spectre. I was about to say, I was like, we said Disco Volante, I was like, that's, that's a bar novel. And then you start keep going, I was like, yeah, we was a bar novel, that's right. <laughs> a smirsh, if you prefer. Spectre does sound slightly more intimidating than smirsh. It's true, yeah. Smirsh. Um, so we are back from vacation, um, although actually we're not as we're recording this. Um, we haven't gone yet. <laughs> <laughs> I assume we are hey, well rested episode. and or traumatized, <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> I know, I've ruined the magic, I've ruined the secret, but... My, uh, my immersion in this game it has been broken, I want my money back. Oh actually... My to be fair, I think that the fair. kind of game we're about to do, or episode, game, I don't know, the kind oh. of ep- episode we're about to do, I think is better if we're a little punchy and um, ready to go on vacation. Okay. Because if I'm all relaxed, this this wouldn't be as fun. But if I'm like hyped up and, and weird, then mm. yeah. Because Dixie, when I think of you, I never think of the words hyped up or weird. <laughs> <laughs> right, because that's my default state because I haven't had a vacation in two years. Mm. <laughs> Fair enough. So this is like the last crescendo before you come back and you're just like very mellow and say, like, hey, what's up? Cool. Yeah, all of my quote unquote vacations over the past two years have been um, like going to Dragon Con, which is not relaxing. No. Um, like we, I will say that is the main, like there's 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 lots, lots of problems with, with COVID and the pandemic and everything. But I think that my personal disappointment, just to get petty for a second, was that I was supposed to go visit my parents in Mexico this year. Like sure. earlier this year, mm-hmm. and and I want to go drink margaritas on the beach in Cozumel with my parents. Yeah, and I can't do that, and that makes me sad. That'll be very saddening. Like I want eighteen mojitos, but also a beach. <laughs> exactly eighteen. Seventeen's not enough. Nineteen's too many. Well, like over the course of a couple days, but you know. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> It's a huge tray of like 18 mojitos just sit in front of you. Yeah. yeah. So instead, while we're on vacation, I'm going to sit on my couch with my Animal Crossing beach up and read a book and just listen to beach sounds. And drink 18 mojitos. I have to go get some rum, but maybe. Yeah. Um, so uh, as Dixie kind of alluded to, uh, um, today we're going to uh, play a game we haven't played in a while, actually. Um uh, uh, we are going to do our kind of random uh, uh, game jam, as it were. We're going to give each other prompts and ideas and try to come up with a game idea. Um, and uh, because we are a little fried going into um, vacation, I did give my co-hosts access to a video game generator. Um, so we're not going to be necessarily making video games, um, but usually we're going to kind of just use that as random prompts to kind of throw stuff out to each other and then try to build uh, ideally a tip-top role-playing game, but it can be any kind of game idea. And you can take as long or as little as you want. Um, but uh, we do have the, uh, the big wheel of ideas in the background. Um, and I have prepared, uh, give the wheel a test spin here. I don't so. believe you have an actual wheel. I do. It's, it's, <laughs> it's huge. It fills up my entire office. Just for this. Just for this once in every 50 episodes game. 
It was a huge investment. <laughs> I hope you guys are understand the commitment I put towards this podcast. It's it's um it's reinstalled my immersion uh, into this game, so I will put the money back in your pocket. <laughs> There's money involved. Hey, no one told me that. Oh, I, I, I feel how much money? In oh, that I, case, I, I just <laughs> robbed you earlier. Right. Uh, <laughs> I give my money back. Hooray. Um. So uh, I'm going to. Uh, so the, generally, how we did this before was um, we had to go round robin. So I will give the prompts to one of the two of you. Then the person who answered has to give a prompt to the third person. Third person gives a prompt back to me, and we kind of keep going until we kill an hour. <laughs> Basically, the plan. <laughs> um, so uh, Dixie, I'm going to start with you. Oh no! On the spot. Let me go ahead and uh, spin the wheel for you. See what we come up with. <laughs> Um, bankrupt. Uh, oh, oh no, um, not bankrupt. Um, instead, you have um, a game where you train monsters to dominate the market. Pokemon done. Um, well, okay, cool. Magic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, re- really, though, that is kind of like I'm not sure about dominating the market unless it is like that's that's what your economy runs on. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. That is, okay, that, that, that is either Pokemon or like Flintstones. Like where well, dinosaurs can, do all the labor. Yeah, can I can I add a feature then? Sure, for sure. You to expand that on. So yeah, in this game in which you're training monsters to dominate the market, you um, you could even be essentially responsible for one of many competing circuses or fighting tournaments if you want to go the Pokemon route. Um, but I think the majority of the game is based around the training before the competition. I mean, that's, like that's Rocky style. Yeah, that's still kind yeah. of Pokemon, though. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about like monster fighting rings and stuff. I always feel a little weird about that in Pokemon. Like I was thinking about the other day, if you uh... so when you're fighting like a wild Pokemon, right? Mm-hmm. You can just leave them fainted out in the middle of the woods, and I'm like, what yeah. happens to them after that? Do they get eaten by predators? By other Pokemon. Makes me feel bad. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I feel bad about that. Interestingly, I actually did an entire um, uh, extra credits episode about the exact thing, where it's like. Pokemon is light, fun, lighthearted game, but if you look at the mechanics, it's basically a death match. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's 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 dog fighting, and it's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a um a, a I was listening to a podcast. We'll get back to the topic in a minute, but um, <laughs> I, I'm sure um, I was listening to a podcast in which an ethics professor was being uh, interviewed, and her view, although she is a vegan. Uh, is that uh, on a grand scale, it's more ethical to pursue something like trophy hunting than right. it is to allow animals to actually die as a result of nature because most trophy hunters will aim for, you know, single shot, headshot, and bang, the animal's life is over. over. It's the mm. kind of mentality that goes with um, the idea that uh, cattle that are... Um, slaughtered have the most fantastic lives they could possibly live until they have one bad day because mm-hmm. they get to eat and eat and eat and get to socialize with their fellow cows and then they die rapidly um, so yeah I would say that leaving a Pokemon out in the wild to die is probably one of the most horrible things you could do Dixie, shame on you <laughs> I didn't make the game <laughs> but but you played it <laughs> If I made Pokemon, I don't know why I'm working in the RPG industry for three monies. Well, <laughs> in, but, well, na- well, now, now is your time. You have this pitch. You've got to make a game about training monsters to dominate the market that isn't Pokemon. 
Well, also, I mean, another piece is like the way I actually read the prompt was the, it's the animals that dominate the market. So like you're training them to be like stockbrokers. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the financial market. Okay. Right. Yeah. What if they're not actually animals? What if you're just training people? Just, just, <laughs> just there terrible stockbrokers. He's uh, <laughs> yeah. got a bullpen full of. I mean, there are those like office sim type games that I played before. Things like Game Game Dev Simulator, which is actually kind of fun, mm-hmm. um, or Death and Taxes, which I've talked about, which is about you know being the Grim Reaper and and just doing your office job. Right. And uh, this could definitely be like an office simulator where they're objectively terrible people. So you're trying to keep your wits together and deal with them and shape them into being able to dominate the market. But you're also kind of a bad person. Very like Wolf of Wall Street kind of thing. Yeah, so you're, but Werewolf of Wall Street. Um, so, <laughs> okay. So, so you're seeing this more as a video game than an RPG. Than a tabletop RPG. Probably. I feel like this would not be a super easy game to do as a tabletop RPG. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh, I wouldn't worry. My, my Super Dragon Restaurant Tensai 7 Alpha Omega <laughs> was also a video game, if I remember. I love how every time the title changes. <laughs> the, the the only thing I can see doing it as a tabletop RPG is if you're doing like a Pentex kind of thing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That would make sense. If you're doing like a technocracy Pentex, we're playing the antagonist kind of thing, then yeah. maybe that would make sense. But still, even that, probably like a one-shot or a convention game. Yeah, yeah. It would be a better, like, boardroom LARP. Yeah, like a yeah, Wolfram and Hart. Exactly. Um, yeah, board meeting kind of thing. Yeah. So that's 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 what I think it would be. It would be like a, like a one-shot LARP convention game where you're playing the bad guys, literally training monsters to dominate the market. Cool. Okay. There we go. Okay. Your turn. Okay, so I have, I have to generate a game while you're... Yep. Spin the wheel there. Okay. Obviously, if you come up with something off the cuff, you can do that too. This is this is fun though. Uh, <laughs> there's so many of them. It's a, so this, this this thing is a video game simulator. So a lot of times it's giving me like simulate stuff. Uh, this mm-hmm. says, "How about a fantasy sandbox RPG in outer space?" Oh, okay. Uh, and this is for me, is it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so not not Trinity Aeon. No, uh, yeah, damn it. Uh, <laughs> so yes, we've already done that, I'm afraid, and very well. Um, no, okay, so this is obviously a very broad concept. Uh, having, yeah, f- so fancy, um, yeah, sandbox, space. I would probably make a tabletop role playing game that has more in common with the sort of Flash Gordon serials unsurprisingly for me than mm-hmm. anything star trek or star wars like that has any pretense of mm-hmm. uh, physics uh, so you would have planets that are uh, sort of inverted geodes floating in space you know you would have um discs with forests on and things like that i'd right. want it and the capacity for people to maybe even fly through space on a with a rocket pack uh, jetpack, uh, rather than using actual com- <laughs> using a rocket and worrying about things like atmosphere and breathable space, take it to the level of science fiction that one would read about in the 30s and 40s before things mm-hmm. like vacuum were truly understood and G-force. Uh, so you've got more freedom. Uh, I think there's already um, well, there's already an RPG called Rocket Age, which does a similar thing. But again, I think as a general rule, you're still in 
um, rockets and abiding by uh, the laws of physics, except you can play gorillas. And also, um, I do think some of those kind of pulp sci-fi games tend to be a little lean towards mission-based as opposed to sandboxy. Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, okay, so from a sandbox perspective, I think uh, it's a game all about exploration. Um, you are, uh, let's even go with another sci-fi uh, series I love. In Farscape style, mm -hmm. your group are the only humans that made it through, you know, you got shot through a wormhole or similar galactic uh, anomaly. And you are therefore in the uncharted reaches of space where things don't work as they should. And uh, you could do it in, as, in an episodic way where you are encountering a new civilization and a new alien race every single time. Or you could just, uh, it could be about the accumulation of knowledge, um, setting up a relay back to Earth so that your own people can start passing through the wormhole and inhabiting this corner of space. That sort of thing. But I think exploration, uh, the morality conflicts that come with colonization, especially if uh, mm -hmm. a place is already inhabited, could add a darker edge to it as well. Uh, especially if characters by default tend to be well-meaning, if uh, although you, you know you can certainly have a Professor Smith kind of character, Dr. Smith character from Lost in Space with you, who doesn't give a shit. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, uh, that that's what I'd go for. But I think the if I was to imagine a cover, you have these completely f not farcical but completely fantastical uh, galactic structures that are supposed to be planets, things that just don't make sense to f through our understanding of science, but make sense in this wild part of space. So, in other words, it's Spelljammer. I was about to say, is it, is it a difference between <laughs> Spelljammer with more sci-fi trappings? Yeah, yeah. Spelljammer without the mind flares. I like it. It's pulpy. Okay. Spacejammer. Uh, Spacejammer. I feel like it's a little close to Space Jam. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and most intergalactic conflicts are settled via basketball. Turns out. Hmm. All right, you ready to go, Matthew? And welcome I to am, the so... S spin that wheel. And what'd you get? Okay. Eddie, you yes. have to tell us all about your game where you play gods, you go to war with moving cities. <laughs> okay. Starting, apparently, it hasn't finished, from a small tribe. I think okay. you could probably cut that bit off if you don't want it, um, but I like the idea of you're playing gods who go to war with moving cities. Uh, it doesn't necessarily say war against moving cities. You might be using the moving cities like frisbees. It's up to you. Zoom! There goes New York. So, I mean, there, at first I was like, oh, so it's it's Scion, right? But then um, uh, uh, what when, when I'm feeling is kind of there's two parts to this. Um there, there's one part is kind of you have um, almost like a, a kingdom death vibe where you're starting from uh, uh, you're playing kind of individual characters for like an adventure and then you jump to a phase where it's okay cool now those individual characters have you know settled down and form a tribe what happens for the next ten years yeah um, you know play through kind of the the, the high level things um, and then these characters keep getting more and more 
powerful through those events. Uh, so I'm thinking it's probably going to be a fantasy game uh, because a modern day game with flying cities, moving cities is going to be a little difficult. Um, not impossible, but difficult. Uh, so why are the cities there and why are they involved? Uh, so what if the cities are built on the back of just gigantic creatures like, you know, like turtles or tortoises or, mm-hmm. um, or even, uh, just, uh, uh, large slow moving, uh, mammals. And so they're like just small continent sized animals. And so they have these actual cities built on top of them. And, uh, so it's not the city explicitly you're fighting, but rather it's the, the, the these invaders are coming to your tribe. And, and rather than just moving the people into invade you, they're actually bringing their whole culture to you. It could be kind of a fun, uh, um, I'll say a fun spin in colonialism, but that's probably not the right phrase I'm looking for. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, but I mean, more, it's a different way to explore the colonial metaphor while also having these really kind of huge, almost exalted level epic style set pieces. Well, I have a question. Oh, no, you go ahead, Dixie. I was going to say, well, it is interesting if, like, so with, with colonialism, there's, there's there's always the concept of, you know, the invaders and the people who are invaded. Um, yeah. But when you're talking about these moving cities, especially if the people who live in the cities don't have any control over where their animals go. Mm. Like, oh, true. What, yeah. what, what does happen if all of a sudden, you know, these two civilizations are right next to each other and they've never met before? And, like, nobody's actually the invader or the invadee. Just oh, how do they have to really deal cool. with that? Yeah, yeah, because then it's then then actually allows you for that kind of how, how do you have cultural integration that doesn't involve colonialism, right? Yeah, uh, well, I could well see the people on back of the two rhinos that are charging each other. Um, they they are prepared for war when they see this other rhino on the horizon because they don't want their rhino to die. They need their city to keep moving because if their city stays still, not only will the rhino be left in the wild and eaten, as with the Pokemon earlier but also <laughs> so will the people on that rhino's back unless they find a new passing mammal that they can pirate their way onto maybe even steal uh, or or uh, please asylum and actually as we're talking about it uh, I'm, I'm now thinking maybe if the planet is entirely water and there's actually no land so this is the only places you can actually build on yeah although to be honest if there's giant mammals wandering around everywhere i don't think i'd want to live on the surface uh, <laughs> because i'd be flattened well, yeah, I mean, that might be another piece of it is like, um, that's one way that people have kind of survived is, is to, because, you know, it, that's why I, I keep visioning like, you know, like tortoises, because like, they can't really put their head back around to, to attack you. So it's like, well, I can't do anything about it. Yeah. Um, but also not really hurting them by living on them. Um, but then, yeah, you have this culture that's completely, uh, uh, the, the average people are generally, um, at the behest of what these creatures want to do. So it's like, you know, we want to plant, stop here and plant crops. Nope. The tortoise, tortoise keeps moving. I guess we're, we're doing that now. Um, and so if you have these characters that are becoming more godlike, that actually can control the monsters or, or, or manipulate them, or even actually kind of, of, of engage with them, then they're going to be seen as godlike uh, yeah. by the average people. Well, yeah, one would assume the people on the back of these animals are going to involve um, doctors, uh, people that make sure the animal is being fed. You know, they are going to want to serve the upkeep of their god, yeah, uh, because they want to stay moving as much as they possibly can. They want to stay safe, so it's a reciprocal relationship, whether the mo- the monster or animal knows it or not. Yeah, and and uh, uh, it's a different spit in the title, animal form. 
Yeah. Hmm. Have like a farm on your animal. So, so yeah. So, so uh, <laughs> giant warring turtle cities is my answer. I like it. What are you going to call it? Oh, what am I going to call it? Um, uh, I really want to make a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles pun at this point, but it's not coming don't, to me. Don't do it. You did a pun last time. It didn't work. <laughs> and see, I'm, 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 I'm trying to name it after the Pokemon War Turtle. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean... Um, war War Tuss. War Tuss. <laughs> <laughs> War toys, yeah. As long as it was, um, uh, as long as it was pronounced toys instead of tus. War toys. War toys. World, world of the war toises. <laughs> <laughs> Done. There we go. World of world war of war toys. Yeah. Um, war so war your... of the world tortoises. <laughs> I don't well, know. Th- this is this is not getting any better. Um, so we've been through our first <laughs> round, which means we all need names for our games. Uh, right. Because as last time, listeners need to vote for the ones they like the best, and so does Rich. That's so true. the end of round one, Dixie. What was your game going to be called? Uh, I'm going to stick with the title you gave it and call it Werewolf of Wall Street. Okay, it's a great I'll name. Take, I'll take the credit. Um, my one. Well, my one's quite broad in scope, isn't it? Again, um, I think we're going to go for space. Colon is is there already something called space colon above and beyond? Because if not, that's what it's called. Maybe sure. I don't know. I like it. Space, space above and beyond. Uh, and I'm going to go with uh, War of the World Tortoises. Great. Tortoises. Oh yeah, that was Tortoises. a sci-fi show from the '90s. <laughs> oh, space above okay. and beyond. Yeah. Oh damn it! Um, all right, so not space. Uh, it's a bit bland to just call it Galactic Discovery, isn't it? So, Why don't you call it, like, Into the Beyond? Oh, yeah, okay. Into the Beyond. I like that. And Into it, the, the and Beyond. Yeah, because shh, the, the <laughs> O in Beyond could be shaped like a planet, and you could have other ones, you know, forming part of the title. Yeah. So we'll go for that. Yeah, Into the Beyond. So we're off the Wall Street, Into the Beyond, and War of the World Tortoises. Ugh. <laughs> Uh, listeners, wow. don't don't let my uh, <laughs> my noises take your views of War of the World tortoises. <laughs> I like how you you followed up with the most sarcastic possible answer. <laughs> <in this title. laughs> um, now I know we're supposed to be going around in the same order, but I my random generator came up with a fantastic concept uh, that I would love Dixie to talk about as a role playing game. Okay. So can you spin the wheel for old time's sake? Jumped ahead, but... Yeah. Well, fancy that. I've already got a fantastic concept (laughs) for Dixie. (laughs) And it's strange that this is a randomly generated one because it actually works, I think. But here's your basis, Dixie. Okay. Um, A mystery game Mm -hmm. where the Lord of the Manor is dead and you have to find the heir. Heir is an H-E-I-R? Yes, not his hair or the oxygen. Yeah, okay. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, air, air is one of those weird English words that could be so many things. Mm. Um, yeah, that sounds cool. So essentially, it's going to be like a clue sort of situation. Right. Mm. Um, because I can't imagine it being many other ways. Uh, so this is going to be a one-shot style game um, in the vein of like a 
like a dread or even a they came from beyond the grave uh, where everybody's been invited to this Lord's Manor um, for the reading of the will. Uh, also, maybe like a knives out kind of game, you know, mm. um, and you all show up and this 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 could even be a really cool like period piece if we wanted it to be like this. This this could be set in the 30s. This could be set in the, you know, Victorian era. This could be set in all kinds of places. I think that that would actually be something that would be included as part of the game is that it, it is up to you when this is yeah. set. Uh, so you can do it as a House of Haunted Hill kind of situation, uh, more, you know, 90s-ish or the 70s version, or you can do it as a period piece. You can even do it as like a medieval banquet. Um, Ooh, but, yeah, I like that. Yeah, but the core conceit is that you always show up, the Lord of the Banner is dead, and he left an unknown heir. He died right before he could tell you which one of you it was. You're all somehow kind of related to him, but you don't know how it is. And none of you know, like... Everyone has some kind of secret in their past about like who their true parent is or where they're from or or a like terrible thing that they've done. Some people are there as grifters to try to like get the guy's money or, you know, come out on top, etc. Um, and then you play it kind of like, like I said, like a game of like Dread or Clue or whatever, where you're trying to figure out who killed him, but also who the heir is. And... Not sure exactly what kind of mechanics I'd like to do because I would like to be more of a random chance kind of thing. Maybe, um, maybe a random cards uh, so that at intervals yeah. in the game, like let's say the one hour and the two hour point, you get something added to your past that you then have to incorporate into how you're playing your character. Yeah, I would like that. That'd be cool. And then, yeah, at the end, everybody can essentially maybe vote for who the killer and the heir are. Oh, nice. So they're not predetermined. It's just each person. Yeah. You play as if you may or you, you, you set which role you think you might be. And then everyone decides, okay, we've all agreed it's blah. Yeah. I think that could be fun. Cool. And in the case of a, of a tie or a split and the person who's running the game can choose. But also I think that if the person who's running the game should also be able to be a player if there's that much random chance involved. Yeah. Uh, almost more of like a Prince's Gambit situation. Right. I, was I think this, this could easily be converted into a LARP as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. It could be like a murder mystery style LARP very, very easily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, especially with the different periods you could set it in. So, yeah, I, th I, I think I think that that'd be fun. Like, I I remember back in the, you know, 80s and 90s, the like murder mystery parties were a, were a big thing. Yeah. Um, like, I, 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 think, I think my mom actually threw a couple of them when I was really young. And uh, yeah, that, that that's kind of a cool, like updated version of it. And... I think that, once again, much much like Dread, because I'm taking a lot of inspiration from that kind of game, I would probably make the setting even more expansive. It wouldn't always have to be a Lord's Manor. Like, it, it, you could really just play with this as an open-world murder mystery game. Mm -hmm. um, but that would probably be my example setting, would be some kind of manor house, because there's just lots of interesting places to explore. Sure, but it could also be like a corporate boardroom. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a fun one. Ooh, a cyberpunk murder mystery kind of thing might be really cool yeah see that's that's what i'm saying is like the like core plot is so kind of basic i mean how many mystery novels have we read that have a very similar plot oh yeah totally um so like it's it's so basic you could really build a lot of stuff around it so i think that if i did it as like an, an rpg book it would be mostly a guide on how to build your own settings based off this core conceit and then how to run the actual game with the cards Right, and then you would just, like you said, give like two or three examples so people could just plug and play those if they want to. Yeah, totally. I dig it. What do you call it? I thought I, th I thought we needed them at, at, at the end now. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, keep changing rules. Yeah, I know. Um, 
That's fine. We'll do it at the end. We'll do it at the end. Yeah. I'll, I'll, let, you, I'll let you spin where you're thinking about it. I'm going to think about it. So who am I giving this one to if I just did one? To me. Okay. Spin that wheel. Spin that wheel. Spin that wheel. The wheel fell off. Tubby got juice. Tubby got juice. Um, I would like you, just because I, th- I think this one would, would be fun for you as well, okay. I would like you to do a detective type game. Okay. Where you're playing some kind of private investigators. Um, mm-hmm. or, you know, and I would like you to pick a period to set it in, but you have to play as kids. It's a kid's game. So children detectives? Yeah. Like Harriet the Spy kind of stuff. Encyclopedia Brown. Yeah. Scooby-Doo, yeah. Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys, even. So uh, one of the things that's interesting about uh, the children's detective genre specifically is that they have to have some conflict with adult authorities because um, they are the ones who see the truth and the adults around them don't have the complete picture or just don't want to listen to them. Um, so there, I feel like one of the, the main pieces of attention is that the kid does not have the, the capacity to fully investigate and they require some adults help and the adults are reluctant to believe them. So there's that kind of tension there. Uh, but like you say, I mean, the examples we give, there's actually been examples of that for the past hundreds of hundred years, I think. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, it would be easy to do something like kind of early 20th century because that's kind of the a key point of it. Um, and also there's some potentially fun resonance of doing pre-World War One to play kid detectives who could then grow up to be the kind of archetypal 30s and 40s private eyes. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, mm. what if you played like a generational game? Right, like, you know, young Philip Marlowe kind of thing. Um, so that's one way you could go with it. Um, uh, but another one I think that would actually be really interesting is doing it kind of in a, a cyberpunk setting um, because that could then take that conflict between uh, 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 younger kids and adult authority in a different direction. Um, the, 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 the dynamic there is kind of baked in to a certain degree to cyberpunk as a genre. Um, and so it becomes, you're going into this knowing there's going to be that kind of conflict. Um, and so it's the, how do you try to do the right thing and, and investigate these things to, to help people out um, while navigating that conflict? You know, it's um, interesting. I can only think of a couple of kids in cyberpunk books. Or like literature, like you just don't see it a lot. It's it's very uncommon. Honestly, Snow Crash is the one that comes to mind at the moment. So yeah, uh, Snow Crash because of YT, and then in Diamond Age, the protagonist kids are a part of it. True. But like one upper class dude, but like right. that's that's it. I like can't think of other kids in cyberpunk aside from. I mean, I guess Ready Player One, and like yeah. to some uh-huh. extent, but like yeah, I don't know. I mean, I will say I'm, I'm cheating slightly because um, I have been rewatching uh, Sherlock Holmes in 22nd Century. Um, oh, right. And, and <laughs> there are um, uh, uh, the, the kind of bigster regulars there, but they've, because it's a 90s kids television show, um, there are three very specific characters. It's not just kind of wiggins and then vague urchins. They have like three characters. Um, and yeah. so one of them is just out of secondary school um, and the other two are definitely kind of teenagers. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, and, and they have, again, an interesting dynamic because they're, they're, they're bright, they're um, street savvy. Um, 
and they're of course street savvy in a very kind of 90s kids cartoon way um they're not going to go into like the deep grittiness of being a kid a homeless kid on the streets um but but there is some interesting things like they can't they can do some things that that the adult authorities can't but also they're limited by some of the things they can do so um uh, but again i don't mean more i think about it i don't think that's necessarily cyberpunk specific i mean even going back to the young phil amaro thing you still have the same problems right uh, so honestly the more i think about it, i think my first answer is probably the more interesting one of that playing that kind of right before or right during world war one detectives uh, uh, age and then Gig said, kind of playing a generational thing of seeing what happens, what shapes those kids to ultimately become these, these adult detectives. I like it. Yeah, I like it. I mean, there's um, shades for me of um, Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, which is um, kind of eraless because it has that it has a 1920s feel to it in a lot of how it's described, and no one's using modern technology, and yet the knowledge the characters have is modern because it's so purely fantastical. Um, And I like that. You know, I I think it's uh, unusual. We haven't seen many RPGs like that. Um, But yeah, I think that's a really nice idea. Cool. I have to think of a title for that. That's an interesting one. Yeah. Um, Um, Before, before we get on to mine, do you remember there is a cyberpunk, uh, module or another role-playing game set in the cyberpunk universe where you are playing children and I'm trying to remember Cyber Generation. Name. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Okay, I wasn't aware of that one, or I was, but just had forgotten about it. I actually, I actually love Cyber Generation. Um, uh, so I'm going to good about it for a second. Um, it was an ultra-salarian game. Uh, it was originally a source book for Cyberpunk 2020, but then the second edition became its own distinct game. Um, and it's really cool for a number of reasons. Uh, the first is that um, is a bunch of kids where the entire culture um, of adults have been reshaped because of a deadly virus. Um, and they're forced to confront an increasingly fascist United States in order to survive. Um, so, you know, has absolutely no resonance with today. But one of the things that's really cool about the game is that um, it explicitly kind of frames the fact that these are kids like you you pick uh what are called yo gangs like 18 of them or maybe even 20 um which are basically your little kind of youth subcultures that you grew up in and that kind of shapes who you can you can move beyond that but it kind of gives you a starting point um and then the other thing that's really cool about cyber generation specifically is that um you make characters as you play through your first adventure you start the game off you just wake up and uh the, the corporate states of america officers are, are pounding on your door trying to get in and so you have to think of a way to escape. And then uh, you get to a safe house and you, you learn dice rolling by like, you know, dodging uh, uh, police officers to get to a safe house. And then you get to a safe house, you have to do a, a personality test to kind of, you know, figure out what your training is. And that's where you actually allocate your points to that's cool. attributes. Um, and then you go to the mall. Um, and, you know, because there was a game in the 90s. Um, so you go to the mall and you spend your money to, and you get just pages of just different storefronts with equipment in it. And so you go through different stores of the mall with these two page spreads and you pick all the equipment out of it. So it was the first time I really saw how can you actually play the game and make your character at the same time. So yeah, no, Cyber Generation is really, really interesting. It isn't often I get to do my, my, my obscure game. No, no, uh, I, I think it's good. It's uh, always nice to highlight an old favorite like that. It's also, I think, the first kind of real, although Hope Punk didn't really come around, I think it's the first game that really kind of embodied that because it was very much the, they're trying to make the world better. Cool. I like it. Which, 
So anyway, <clears throat> back to the wheel. Matthew, you ready? I'm ready. Okay, let's give it a spin here. Uh, it's 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 wobbling between two. Is it gonna hit the one? No. Oh, okay. Uh, it hits um a tycoon game where you build nested universes. <laughs> a tycoon. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> well, this doesn't feel like a tabletop role playing game to me on the face of it. it no, it does. It does seem like maybe it's a, a board game. However, uh, let's see if I can make it into a tabletop role playing game. Uh, so, I think our protagonists have all got to be uh, people who work for the tycoon. And uh, to borrow a little from the Whale for Wall Street, you know, you're you're not necessarily nice people, but you're somewhere derivative. Yeah, I know, I know. I've never had an original <laughs> thought. Uh, you you are cogs within the bureaucratic machine of this tycoon, and the tycoon's responsibility is building nested universes. I see it similar to the. Uh, end of Men in Black when you discover all the galaxies are uh, snooker balls or whatever it was. Um, and in order to build these nested universes, you have to track certain, uh, I guess, uh, intergalactic or interdimensional intruders that are on your planet down and essentially deliver them and their uh, their universal knowledge or their interdimensional artifacts and the like to the tycoon, where it's essentially rendered down, folded in, and becomes what is essentially a snow globe uh, oh. for incredibly rich buyers, you know, for an, a really corrupt and decadent aristocracy who just want Brainiac-style candor in a jar. And I think, therefore, while it's still a tycoon game, in the sense that there exists a tycoon and there's nested universes, you are at least always at first people that work within the machine. But as the game goes on, you should have the opportunity to rebel, to free some of these universes, or maybe even uh, access them, because presumably the peop there's also a uh, substrata within this bureaucracy that can miniaturize themselves to ensure these universes actually uh, work from an infrastructure perspective. Otherwise, you just mm -hmm. have a dead snow globe. Uh, so you could uh, foment rebellions. You could uh, you could even poison some of these universes to uh, Im influence the stock position of your tycoon. And you know, oh, all of his in, uh, all of his nested universes are corrupt. No one wants them. Right. And uh, yeah, you end up becoming a rebel uh, who seeks to bring down the organization for which you work. Uh, if it was a movie, I imagine at the end you would probably end up being given the position of the tycoon because that's how that tycoon got the position in the first place by taking out the last person says oh well done you've shown the kind of gumption you need uh to to be the next tycoon <laughs> put him in the nested universe he's going to be the shell for the next one um but i think from an rpg perspective you could make a really interesting world where this is a part of a commodities market and if you've got this interdimensional aspect where to make the nested universes, you need people who have been to other universes, it means you've probably got a dystopian or far future feel to it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'm seeing sort of shades of the movie Brazil and other um, 
such nightmarish uh, movies where there's a lot of grey, a lot of brutalistic architecture, a lot of, sort of faceless drones, and you've got to see if you can make a difference and uh, reverse the process. And also, I mean, now you're describing it, I'm also hearing like you know if the player characters are are resident or are, are denizens of these universes then you can almost get kind of like a a, a riff style of vibe of, of the wildly discordant characters that are all traveling together um, yeah so like one, one person you know a robot character one person's you know kind of a victorian style steampunk character or what have you depending on each universe's tech level and whatnot and they all kind of travel between they'll have to kind of balance out that could potentially be fun of also hopping between genres to a certain degree yeah, I think if you are able to access the nested universes as a part of this game and are from them, you may well have the, I guess, indentured promise that if you do, if you can capture enough of this this universal matter to make more of these snow globes, we will free the people from your universe, or we will, you know, because no one's buying these snow globes anymore anyway. They've been on the market for the last hundred years, so right. we'll free your one. You can go back to it and uh, we'll call it even. But, mm -hmm. of course, as time goes on, you realise that the corruption runs far deeper than just your universe being trapped. And I imagine it's the kind of game where you'd have some kind of truth document in the background that would say that the uh, the bureaucratic world where nested universes are turned into snow globes is in itself a nested universe <laughs> inside a, right. a right. larger snow globe, and so on and so on and so on. But that, that, would, be my, um, that would be my nested universe tycoon game. Cool. Cool. All right, so titles. Dixie, which title are you in? Oh, um, my game is going to be called Air Apparent. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, my detective game, I think I'm going to go with After the Fact. Mm-hmm. I like it. And Matthew? I think I'm going to call mine rather obtusely Snow Globe. Uh, I don't think it will necessarily indicate what the game contains, but it could result in a nice cover treatment. Okay. Um, so, uh, do you have time for one more round, I think? Yeah, this is fun. Okay. Um, so Let's do it. Uh, so, Matthew, for Dixie, I think, at this point. Spin the wheel. Spin that wheel. Spin that wheel. Ooh. What'd you get? Okay, uh, one that I didn't like. It <laughs> I've just been sitting here like regenerating the thing, so yeah. Yeah, I've been, I've been I've been refreshing until I get to one I like and sitting on it. Oh, okay. This is an interesting one, uh, Dixie. Yeah. Tell us about your game. It's a horror game where you have been contracted to kill robots, and you're addicted to robot implants. Ooh. <laughs> Uh, Cyberpunk 2020? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at, at the, uh, yeah, the dangerous end of that wedge, definitely. Uh, gosh. So it's a, it's a horror game, first of all, so we got to get the tone right. So even if it is Cyberpunk, yeah. it needs to be Cyberpunk horror. Um, I would say that I'd like it to feel like a Resident Evil dystopia rising kind of, kind of situation. Uh, maybe like a Fallout, like maybe like a, you know. I just feel like this needs to be like dy dystopian after the robot uprising has happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so at some point in the future, the robot uprising happens. Um, they all gain sentience and then it becomes a whole ethical debate of what do we do with them? Do we shut them down? And before we can solve that debate, they take over. Um, Cause they are the superior life forms uh, in their, in their view. Um, there are small pockets of humans that have little strongholds here and there, maybe like underground vaults 
in the Fallout style. Um, yeah. And they are trained to go take out robots. Uh, but they have to do it in small teams because robots have really good sensors. If a whole bunch of humans come out, they'll just all converge on that location and kill them. Uh, this is also kind of like a, if anybody's played XCOM kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so like you're going out in small teams. So this, this, this is a tabletop game and the players at, at the table are one of the teams. Um, however, when you're going through your training and everything, the best way to be equipped to defeat these robots is to give yourself cyber implants so that you can be as strong or as dexterous or whatever as the robots themselves. Um, so depending on your character archetype is what kind of implants you get. So mm-hmm. if you're like the dexterity character, maybe you get like robot eyes so that you can see better for sharpshooting mm-hmm. um, or like one robot eye. And maybe if you're the, you know, strength type character, you get robot limbs or one robotic limb or a gun implant in your arm or something. Um, yeah. But there is lots of debate in society over at what point you become fully robot. And right. if the robot takes over too much, then it actually does in- infect your brain and put you more on the like robot hive mind side of things. So yeah. it's a constant balance, kind of like humanity and vampire. I was just thinking about humanity. Yeah. Yeah. So you're like, not, not that we, we, we talked about this extensively, me and Eddie. So that's why I'm not giving too much context. Like we are aware of the ableist issues of like various, you know, implants and prosthetics and stuff making you less human that's not a great thing right um it in this world it is explicitly because they know that eventually if you get too much it'll take over your your brain right it's not some kind of abstract thing of like you're less human now more like no this this this, there's this virus going around that's specifically taking over robots yeah right so you have to like that's 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 a thing that you're gonna have to rule against during the game is you know having your your willpower and not be subsumed by the robot hive mind, and if that happens in the game, then you that's 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 how you lose that character essentially. They they go off to join the robot hive mind and you get to make a new character. Okay, I like that. Yeah, yeah, I like it too. That was fun. I like that one. Okay, uh, Dixie, go ahead and let's spin the wheel. Spin that wheel. And there we go. What do you get? Uh, I'm actually going to get out of your wheelhouse a little bit too. So we're going to do a romance style game set sometime in the ancient world. You get to pick where and how ancient. Okay. Um, so is it actually, I've been thinking about this interestingly recently because romance is so rarely done. I know we've, Mm -hmm. We frequently name drop uh, Blue Rose because I think it's really just kind of the, the archetypal romance game. Starcrossed but is really good. Starcrossed is another good one. Um, and, and I know that um, uh, there was an, a trilogy of romance games that was released as part of the uh, um, uh, Bundle of Equality uh, that came out of the HIO about a month ago. Um, right. So there aren't many romantic games in the market. And I think part of the, the, the reason for that is because um, – uh, it, it, it's a different, it's a different kind of challenge. Um, so I think romance in tabletop role playing games specifically, not, not, this is not a, a smear against romance as a genre, cause it's a fantastic genre, but I think in tabletop role playing games, it needs to be married with something else. <laughs> married to it there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> very, very droll. Uh, so, um, uh, uh, it's pretty easy to, uh, uh, connect that to politics. Um, especially mm-hmm. in the ancient world, yeah. because there's a lot of marriage as political maneuvering, but also that feels so obvious, right? Um, because right. That's, that's 
Romeo and Juliet. That's so many other storylines. Um, so if I want to do something different, what if it's more of rather uh, instead of the uh, courtship, what if it's the relationship side of things? So what if the game is about uh, you start off you and uh, the player character or you and NPC um, are in a relationship. You're, you're, you're married, you're dating, whatever the state is. Um, you're now the king and queen of a country. And you're constantly shifting between all the political decisions you have to make as a country and then also the stress that puts on your relationship. And how do you balance those two sides? Mm. Um, how do you make the best decision for the country, but then that moves away from the things that your partner loved about you? Uh, what if you are trying to do things because you really value uh, the person you're with uh, and the rest of the country is like, well, I don't, we don't care about your relationship. We need you to put these laws in place or what have you. Um, and then particularly if this is started off as a, a, a political marriage, then there's also the, okay, but then there's probably a, a, usually another family or another country that needs to be involved um, and how that dynamic works. Um, so uh, for maximum conflict, I'd probably put it Dark Ages era-ish, um, you know, where there's lots of different kind of, it's not just a couple of different factions, there's all these different kind of European uh, uh, factions and marriages and, and dynamics. Um, uh, but then the conceit being is, unlike many of these other ones, you actually do love each other. Right. And then there's because something to lose. And I think that could actually be really, really fun. So it's like you, if you make this, you become this push and pull of meters, right? It's like, okay, you have like, um, I'm thinking of uh, 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 Rain, which is the mobile game where you're, you're making decisions as a, a king or a queen. And um, there are different, there's like a, a religion bar and a, a finance bar and a love bar in this case. And if any of those get too high or too low, then the game ends. Uh, so you're constantly having to kind of, like if you fall madly in love with your partner, um, you just say, you know what? We're done with this thing. And they just leave, you know, just, just abdicate. Yeah. Uh, but then the game's over. Um, or if you love too low, then it's the, you murder each other. Um, and the game's also over. So you have to kind of find that balance of, of you can't, you, you can't enjoy the romantic side of the relationship too much, but also you do need to keep that spark alive. So it's constantly zooming between the, the macro and the micro, the, the personal and the political. And I think that could potentially be a really fun dynamic. Um, I've got a question. Would you, is there any way that you see this game could be made into a party based game? Um, because right now, if it's a role playing game, I'm seeing it as one GM, one player. Right. Yeah. Can you see a way of making this uh, something that multiple players can participate um, in? I, I think if you made it into uh, a thing where um, everyone has a different role, uh, so you have like uh, uh, to use. The archetypal example, you have a king and a queen, um, you have a minister of finance, you have a, a head of the church, whatnot, and each person has a specific goal, oh, which okay. is put the king in power, get the king killed so the queen takes over, keep yeah. this couple together. And so they're all making decisions and trying to push and pull the king and queen to make decisions in a certain way. And then if one of them gets their victory condition, then they win the game. Yeah, uh, I could see that. I'm already sort of picturing the Henry VIII uh, style of having a Cromwell, a Woolsey, a lady in waiting, mm -hmm. and uh, very and Thomas More people, yeah, you 
trying to push for one thing or the other. Totally. I like it. Cool. That's fun. I like it. All right. And finally, uh, Matthew, your last game. So yes. This will be a one last spin. Um, Nine games in an hour. Not bad. Um, I'm actually going to... We've been kind of editing and adjusting these, but I'm just going to read this one straight from start to finish because it is just so fun. A role-playing game where you defeat kings and queens in the darkest caves. <laughs> that is the entire prompt from the screen I have. Right. Okay. We can go with that. Um, so, do we go for the Underdark style, uh, which is pretty much as it's written? Uh, the kings and queens are already live in the darkest caves, so going down there to kill them isn't that far-fetched. Mm-hmm. Um, or... Is this? I think with almost all these concepts, it, for me, I need to imagine a broader world, a larger world to surround it. So yeah. there has to be a reason, of course, we're going down to the darkest caves to murder these kings and queens. Yeah, the defeat does it have to be murdered. Okay, um, okay. So to defeat in battle, this this is actually uh, quite a tricky one, I think. So let's think, let's uh, spitball some ideas. There could be all kinds of things like the darkest caves, the deepest points underground are seen as the uh, holiest of places almost, uh, sacred to battle places in this particular campaign setting. And so when someone wishes to commit uh, regicide or, uh, you know, whenever there is a battle between potential claimants to the throne, it always takes place in the dark, pitch black, and it's just a wild flailing around of weapons until one of them walks out. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's not um, necessarily an elegant way to go. It's cool. Um, yeah, what would it be? Um, so that, that could be it, but I would see that as a very small part of a larger game. Um, for it to be the central feature of a game, which is more the demand of the concept. I think this would have to be a... I'm still going to go for a sort of medieval fantasy campaign setting, Um, but one that is entirely set underground Mm -hmm. uh, because the surface of the world is polluted or poisoned or something, or is uh, Mm -hmm. seen as inhospitable. One would assume it is. Uh, people haven't ascended to the surface in this many generations, so we're not going to now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, avoiding the usual sort of dark elf tropes, uh, I think you'd have every kind of usual medieval fantasy race under there, along with some fresh ones. And the further down you go, the more powerful and more opulent and more ancient the families. So the first uh, people that retreated below the ground uh, went Mm -hmm. as deep as they possibly could. And when others started descending as well, they had to dig even deeper. And maybe they found some kind of cachet of riches down below and and magical power that made them even more powerful than they were. And so now they're clinging on to the darkest, deepest dungeons that exist as um, they don't want to let go of that power. So you have to descend into the darkest dungeons at the bottom to not only um, kill the lich lords and whatever else, the the monarchs that um, make their residences down there and cling on to power down there, uh, but because from a, I guess, a Mad Max style, if those are the people are holding on to the, the water, uh, it's the only way you can improve the lot of the people on the surfaces, on the levels above. 
Um, there's a movie right now on Netflix called The Platform, which I think is mm. Spanish, and it uh, has this conceit that the further down the platform goes in this prison that some people volunteer to uh, to be uh, inhabitants of, uh, the worse the situation is. It has a very cube uh, feel to it. And it's very good. And uh, I could see this working oh. in a similar but inverted way, that the lower down you are, the more power you have, and the closer to the surface you are, the more likely it is you're going to be polluted by whatever's on the surface. So there's this constant struggle to gain the power at the bottom and make life better for the people at the top. But as the is the old paladin quandary, if you can lay on hands, do you reserve that for your party members, or do you go to the nearest village and help every single person with a disease get better? Uh, so when you do have the uh, when you do gain this power by killing this particular king, of which I am sure there are hundreds in this campaign setting that have carved out different kings, you know, a, fung a fungal kingdom, an acid kingdom, a lava kingdom, all of that, mm -hmm. uh, you then either give all that power to your particular level of the underground, or you try spreading it further, knowing that when people realize you have it, a lot of them aren't just going to wait for you to give it to them. They're going to try and kill you and take it from you. So it's kind of a push your luck mechanic there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but whether that whether there's a mechanic for it or whether it's just baked into the setting that that's just the way people might act, I don't know. But mm -hmm. yeah, that that's my concept for for this game. Okay, cool. And uh, titles, Dixie, what are your colors? Oh, I'm gonna call mine No Return. That's at the point no of return. No Return okay. because if you get to that point, you can't come back. That's the point of No. Yeah, I mean, return. shush. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm going to go with uh, Hearts of State. Oh, I love Hearts of State. <laughs> yeah, you win. Uh, I won't bother with <laughs> yeah. Well, No, you have to give one still. Mm, could go a bit Jamiroquai. I think I've never said that before. Um, <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever said that before. No, <laughs> even, even Jamiroquai, especially Jamiroquai. Uh, so I, I think I'm going to struggle here to come up with a good title, so I open it to the floor. If any of you can think of one that would adequately summarize what this game is about. Divide and Conquer? Yeah, I think that's a bit bit nebulous. I hate to be critical when you're trying to help. Descend and Conquer. Descend and Conquer, yes. Yeah, okay, we'll go for we'll go for Descend and Conquer. Okay, cool. So there you have it. We have now created nine different potential game ideas. So uh if you use any of these to make your own game, uh, let us know. Um, we appreciate a credit free copy, but otherwise, have fun. <laughs> uh, well, but before we do, do mm -hmm. do we want to go through the favorites of each of us? Uh, not, you know, it's a bit Sophie's choice, but um, <laughs> Dixie of all the all the games that were suggested. Let's say all the games that weren't yours. Which um, which one would you be the most likely to want to play? Oh gosh. Um, they all seemed fun. I like the idea of playing a turn of the century kid detective just because I grew up on Nancy Drew and like mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Like th th those were books that I loved when I was a kid. Yeah, the the the, the boxcar children and Hardy Boys, all that. Even the Babysitters Club had like mystery specials, you know. Yeah. So I oh, yeah. I always loved this. So I I probably enjoyed that for the nostalgia, uh, for an ongoing campaign. I think I like uh, Matthew's final one, Descend and Conquer. So I think it really depend on what kind of mood I was in at the time. So whether or not I wanted to play like Scrappy Kid Detective in, you know, 1908, or if I wanted to play, you know, 
actual ongoing fantasy campaign because mm-hmm. they're so different, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, similar, like um, uh, Descend and Conquer, it feels a bit like uh, Spire to me in a good, in a positive way. Uh, um, it, it feels potentially very sandboxy uh, and a cool, cool kind of yeah. fantasy conceit. Um, so it's kind of a, a nice way of, here's a different way of playing a D&D style fantasy game. So I, I dig that. Um, but also I really like the, um, the robot hunter idea that, that Dixie had because it's, um, I, I think it's a way of exploring that original, a personal horror of cyberpunk games, but reframing it in a non-ableist way, which I find really, really interesting. It's a way of taking that classic concept, but getting rid of the, uh, ableist baggage and, and presenting it fresh. So I really, really dig that. Thanks. And for me, uh, again, I'm going to pick two and weasel my way out. Is uh, so I th- I really love the idea of the um, the murder mystery, the air air apparent, um, yeah. because for whatever reason, I don't see murder mysteries being advertised anymore. You know, I'm sure they still go take place, but it's almost like when LARPs rose up and. I almost feel like escape rooms fill a scratch a similar itch. Really, yeah. Um, That's that's where it goes now. But I think it would be wonderful to play in a period murder mystery, whether it's at tabletop or live action. And so, well, not necessarily murder mystery, but a but a mystery uh, where, yeah, you're hunting hunting a will, Mm -hmm. where you all have your secrets, that sort of thing, and they're all revealed as the plot goes on. That just really appeals to me uh, for a one shot and for the campaign uh, i think i've got to go for hearts of state because i love courtly intrigue mm-hmm. and uh, it it's scratches the crusader kings itch for me as well yeah i was definitely thinking that when eddie was talking about it but it also takes what may be my favorite part of pendragon and expands it um Pendragon being an RPG where in the downtime, theoretically, that's when you start wooing and getting married and having children and things like that. And as the game was written anyway, I'm sure later editions do it um, slightly better. That bit was kind of done off to the side with dice rolling, whereas all the quests were the bits you role-played. So it's the winter phase of Pendragon turned into a full role-playing game, and I really like that. Doesn't Birthright do some of that too, the Birthright setting? It's all about like your domains and stuff. Yeah, but again, the the, the lineage side is still kind of random tabled, okay. whereas uh, you're still warring with people through, through more role-play. At least that's my re- memory of Birthright. It's been a while since I played it. Okay. But yes, th- those would be my picks. Excellent, yeah. Um, I, honestly, I mean, I, I, I only vaguely remember the first time we did this, but I feel like we got a lot more... I feel it's harder to choose a favorite this time around. I think this last time we were a little sillier in the beginning, and we were just kind of like throwing <laughs> words at each other as opposed to like looking at a generator that actually is supposed to make moderately viable game ideas. That's true, that's true. Maybe we need to go back to just random word association you can be the silly next time. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you remember what your fish-based uh, private investigator game was called from the last one, Eddie? This was your last pun. No, I don't remember that one. And uh, neither can I. I think it was octopus-based. Mm, oh, yes, the calamari of crime. Was yes, it? No. that was it. Calamari. Yes, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. right. I do remember now. Yeah. So no, let's let's stick to this method instead of going back to that. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, uh, so Dixie, if people wanted to talk to you about any of your game ideas, where would they find you online? Uh, Dixie Cyanide on most social media or DixieCochran.com. Matthew? 
They can contact me via matthewdawkins.com. Um, and people can find me at uh, pugstay.com. You can find all of us through uh, theomicspath.com. Um, you can always leave uh, comments on the blog. Um, it's probably the best place these days to, to leave a note for us. We also do have an Omnixpath Discord. We have Omnixpath Facebook groups. Uh, so come on, hang out and, and chat. We'd, we'd love to, to talk with you. Uh, and with that, many worlds, one pathcast. Cast.